Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I want more. I didn't supply the microphone. Live from the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of Outlaw Radio USA, hidden away in our cleverly concealed bunker in a bizarre residential area where the neighbors have no clue what's going on in the suburbs of their mind. I am the legendary Burl Bear, Howard Lapidus, manager of the stars, laryngitis. He's not here today. Fact checker Mark Boyer. Hello. As the saying goes... A rabbi, a crook, and a thief walk into a bar. And that's just the first guy. Well, how does a crook become a rabbi for real and in fiction? We got Rabbi Mark Borovitz from Temple Betshuva, dear friend of mine. Hello there, Rabbi. Hello, Beryl. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you. My honor. It's a w- Todd Goldberg, who's my beloved little nephew. How you doing, Todd? Hello, Todd. Oh, there's Todd. today. I have a uh, first, before I ask Rabbi Borovitz the first question I want to ask him, I want to ask you this, Todd. What yes, prompted you to ru- come up with this plot, to, to write about someone who puts themselves in a position of perhaps being severely influenced by spiritual concepts? <laughs> well, it, it boils back to my long-held desire to figure out the best way to get rid of a dead body. Yeah. And... Uh, a couple of years ago, I wrote a short story called Mitzvah um, that I was in a book called Las Vegas Noir, where they had asked me to write a story that takes place in the suburbs of Las Vegas, which, you know, it's, it's like writing a, a short story that takes place in the one of the circles of hell. <laughs> and I, I was stuck, and I couldn't think of what to write about, and I was here at my home in Palm Springs, and I was driving by this old Native American cemetery, and I was just staring at it. And I thought to myself, you know, if, if there was one way to really get rid of a dead body, the best thing to do would be to kill the person, put them in a coffin, and bury them in an old cemetery, because no one's ever going to look in there. And all of a sudden, it was just there. You know, well, if I'm going to do that, well, then I, if someone's going to make money from this, then it has to be religion-based. If there's a religion involved, it has to be the Jews, because I don't know anything about anything else. And then if it's the Jews, it's even more better, because they don't embalm, they go into pine boxes, three days later they're nothing but mealworm um, food, and so it all just sort of showed up in my mind, this idea of this long con of having the mafia operate a temple and a cemetery and have to have an actual killer in the place of the rabbi to do the dirty work. But what personally, aside from that, when any time, because I've also written a book years ago where the mother wanted the kid to be a rabbi, but the uncle wanted him to be a mullah. Uh, the, the spiritual factor comes in here. And while illness is more contagious than health, spiritual principles, as I, I hope the rabbi will agree, sooner or later can exercise their influence upon you. Yeah, and, you know, part of it was a simple thing, which is that, you know, I I had turned 40. So this is when I started to write the novels a couple of years ago. I'm 43 now. And I was, you know, staring at the middle of my life. And... Um, both of my parents were dead, which of course involves your sister. And you know, I was I was having that existential question of what am I here for, and you know why why do I feel this genetic debt to Judaism, even when I don't necessarily believe in all the precepts of the religion. Um, I mean, I like I like pork, but I like kugel. And, <laughs> and and so I started asking myself these big questions that I think a lot of people come to at that that point in their life when they've gone through some grief. And what I found in my reading as I was writing this character who has to evolve from a hitman into a rabbi is that the things that I was thinking about, the things that I was worried about, the existential problems that I had, were the same existential problems Jews had in the 11th century. And, and we're writing about them in, in, these, in the Talmud and the Torah and the Midrash, but in also all these books of Jewish thought and identity. These, these were reoccurring themes, this, this genetic predisposition to starchy foods and to kill. <laughs> and, and, and to, to wondering about your place in the earth. And I think as you know, the, the Jews in the room can attest, there's something about knowing as you grow up that there is someone out there who wants to kill you that is a little psychically innervating. <laughs> uh, and, and while I don't believe someone right now is looking to kill me, I believe if someone dropped me in Pakistan and said, oh, there's a nice little American man named Goldberg over there, and uh, he'd like to talk to you about some of his beliefs, that maybe I wouldn't last that long. And, you know, that's, 
there's there's a weight to that, and and I wanted to touch on those things in the book, and I wanted to talk about the things that I was thinking about as it relates to you know my own concerns about the bad things we do and how we look for faith to fill those places in, even if I don't necessarily believe that the answers are always found in those books. Now, Rabbi Borovitz, how does this resonate with you? Well, it's... I think, Todd, that you you bring up some good points. Um, From an early age, we're taught that uh, we matter and that that, um, life is important and precious. So when you look at the tenets of Judaism, you see that caring for the widow, the poor, the stranger, and the orphan are are very important in making a mark and and making our own corner of the world a little bit better um, is something that is... It might be in our DNA. It certainly is ingrained in us um, from an early age. And being a people that's been persecuted for working to help people and and to make life better, it it makes it it does make it more urgent and scary. So I think that the question of of what's my life about is not just a Jewish question. However, I think Judaism has been looking at it um, since its inception some 3,300 years ago. In fact, going back to Abraham 4,000 years ago, um, what am I doing here? What, why, why should I, uh, um, what do I exist for? And, and that's, that's really, I think, the way that monotheism came about was through questions of, of um, what's it all about and why am I here? And also some great songs. What's it all about? Oh, Alfie. Alfie. <laughs> yeah, that, that matters too, but it does come down to that. There are some people who believe that they're put here to shop. Right. <laughs> look, look, what's wrong with Schmein? <laughs> well, you know, I think, uh, I think those, those long-held questions, I mean, obviously those are the things that any sentient human is thinking about. You know, that's, that's what separates us from my Cocker Spaniel, other than my inability to lick my butt. Um, <laughs> Lord but knows well, I heard I heard you were double jointed. <laughs> well, I, I do have certain skills that not a lot of people know about. Um, but I, I, I think, Rabbi, what, what you talk about, um, you know, about that question, that, that long-held question, I'm, I'm also fascinated by that sense that that maybe it's not even something that we learn, that, that idea of persecution. Because even in, in uh, my family, and of course in Burl's family, we weren't terribly religious. And of course, uh, Burl's father, my grandfather, had to escape from Russia with the Cossacks keeping at his heels, which is why, you know, the, the struggle in the Ukraine right now seems oddly familiar to, <laughs> to me. Um, and so we knew that there was, you know, that people had at some point chased you and wanted you out. But when you grow up, as, as Burl did and I, as I did, in an area where there also aren't a lot of Jews, you get that sense of being the other. You might look for that other Jew in the room. And I, I, I think that there's something powerful about that. There's some connection that Jews feel about that sort of thing. And I think it also can tend to isolate them because I, I don't know about the rest of you, but, you know, I, when I'm looking for a doctor, I, I first look for someone with a Rosenthal name and then... If they're not in my network, I, I go and look for someone else. You know, so I, I think those parts of of our faith and our culture are both good things and can work in detriment to ourselves. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but uh, what I see from the young, see, uh, the twenty or well, middle twenties to the forties, the they tend to get together in a little minion, and then they mm-hmm. don't really associate with anyone else outside the little, their little group. Yeah, I mean, there's, there, there certainly is the isolation, uh, isolationist part in, in uh, different parts of Judaism. For me, you have to differentiate between um, what some people do and what, what the faith stands for. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. I, th- I think that that's a, a, a very important distinction. And also, Todd, um, there's a uh, um, there, there's a concept, I guess, in, um, I don't know much about it, but in uh, brain science that's uh, called epigenetics, that things are passed down from generation to generation without us even knowing. Right. And um, they've been out to get us for a long time as Jews. (laughs) They're not giving up. So, um, 
It's not paranoia that I'm just doing all these years. Just because, you know, even a paranoid, even a paranoid is right some of the time, you know. And uh, (laughs) but when you look at you look at uh, um, if you look at the world, it's a very interesting uh, um, study. Israel is mentioned in in one of the major newspapers in the world every day. Israel has been condemned about Gaza and and this and that. Nobody is given that kind of press to Syria. Nobody gives that, and nobody was giving that kind of press to Iraq. Nobody's giving that kind of press to uh, China uh, with or, what they do with Tibet. Or Iran. Or Iran, or, or even Russia with what they're doing in the Ukraine. The press is not uh, um, talking about it. So, you know, is it anti-Israel? I don't know. Is it anti-Semitic? I tend to think so. But going into this whole idea of... of of what your uncle first mentioned, none of us, I, I don't believe that any of us are born bad. And I don't think that anybody's born to be a hitman or a con or anything else. I think that it, 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 it really is a, um, a reaction formation to, um, to what happens in life. Now, if you take some, uh, some people will say, oh, God, you know, God ordained it. I, I don't believe that. And, and I don't practice that. My own life is one where I made choices. Other people in my family made other choices. And, and um, the choices I made took me down a path that was really, um, really bad. And that's the only way to put it. And, and um, I harmed a lot of people. And, and so what Judaism gave me was a way back. Not a way back that, that somebody else said I was saved or I was forgiven. But, but a way back where I, could, I had to. I had to look at myself and I had to... I had to make amends i had to do chuba for my errors and make sure that i made restitution and i had a plan on how not to do it again so there's a commitment and a, and a reconnection that uh, the jewish faith has in it in fact our our our, um, our mystical tradition says that um, chuba return uh, repentance return and new response was put into the world before the world was created because God knew that we would screw up and we'd need a way back. And, and so in the practice of Judaism, and again, everybody practices it differently, uh, the practice and the spiritual principles allow me to see myself as a whole human being. Some, uh, not all good, not all bad. And, and I think that that's, that's the greatest gift that, that we have, is that um, we're not whitewashed, and we're not tarred and feathered. And that, that is exactly, I'm so thrilled to hear you say that, because that's exactly the path that my hitman who has to hide out as a rabbi, and essentially because he has to hide out, becomes one. That's what I want him to go through, is not have, I, I, I don't imagine him necessarily becoming, in the later book, because I, I believe there'll be a second one, um, becoming a, a full-blown uh, Orthodox rabbi, but what I want is, for him to see that there is another way out of the life that he had, that the choices that he's made are not choices that no one has made before him and come back from. Um, and that the effect that learning can have, that the philosophy can have on, on someone, is that you can grow and you can change, you become a better person, but it doesn't change who you were five years ago. You're still guilty of whatever crimes you committed, you just happen to now have a new and better way of looking at um, at the world. Right. I mean, one of the things about Chuva that is so powerful is that in, in, in the tradition it says that once somebody has done a, a complete Chuva, once someone has made a, a full change, it, it's an Averos, it's a sin to, uh, um, to remind them of who they were. Now, to do that, you have to make it right. Okay? It's, again, it's not, you know, you go to the priest and the priest says, okay, say five Hail Marys. You have to actually do the chuva. You have to do the work. Um, if there's time you have to spend in, in prison, then you have to do that too. But you have, to, you, you have to be real and face up to it. And through that is a tremendous change. The biggest thing that it does, Todd, is that it leaves the past in the past. Mm-hmm. When you think about it, think of how many people carry their past with them and are still reliving it in so many different ways. Even though we learn new things, we keep going back to the old thing and the old tapes in our head and the old messages we got, the old names we called ourselves. Chuva says, no, you know what? Leave the past. 
it allows us to change time. Right. And that the past now stays in the past. What I did 30 years ago stays in 30 years ago. It doesn't get, it doesn't get wiped over. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. Um, it, it doesn't, you know, clean it up. It means that today I'm not that person anymore. So, Rabbi, don't you miss pork chop? No. Nope. More important. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all the other stuff. I'll tell you aside, what. Okay. Don't you I, I have to tell you. I have to tell you something. Okay. Barbecue kosher ribs mm-hmm. beat anything that you ever get as far as pork ribs. Uh, I'd like to find out what they taste that. Okay, you, you know something? We'll get it for you. Do you gentlemen, right. Are you gentlemen familiar with Bradshaw and Coming Home? Yes. So no. he has the he has a similar. Oh, the take. movie coming home with that with, with that. Yeah, John but this Boyd is a, this is a, a no. The book is actually called Homecoming. Homecoming. Thank you. I dyslexic. That's all right. Oh, um, and he has the same concept of uh, these scripts that are ingrained and how to recognize them and rewrite them. Yeah, I, it, it's interesting because you see, um, Judaism guilt. Is good. Bradshaw said, guilt is for what I've done, shame is for who I am. So in, in Judaism, it's all about guilt. I'm guilty of certain things. I'm guilty of making mistakes. I'm guilty of, of errors. And I'm always going to be guilty of those because I'm not perfect. So I don't have to, I, I don't have to beat myself up for my imperfections. And, and um, because we have tshuva, because we have a way of, of um, repairing the guilt, Repairing the error that releases the guilt, I don't have to be that thing that I've done. I get to be me. And that's a huge shift. Well, then also you have the situation of the Orthodox rabbi on Shabbos walks by the Chinese restaurant, looks in the window, and there's one of his congregants having barbecued pork and some sweet and sour shrimp. And he goes and says, what the heck are you doing? He says, Rabbi, did you see me place the order? Yes. Did you see the waiter take the order back into the kitchen? Yes. When the door swung open, did you see the cooks in there? Yeah. Did you see him serve it to me? Yes. What are you complaining about? The entire meal was prepared under rabbinical supervision. See, there's always an out. <laughs> <laughs> That's bad, bro. Bad. Bad, bad Burl. Bad Burl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jewish dilemma ham on sale. Yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> so, Rabbi, not to beat you up over your past, but rather to set an example and, and compare it with, with, with Todd's protagonist. How did you go from a life of crime to being a rabbi at Temple Beit he puts his hand over his eyes. He goes, I give all It's a long story. Um, Cut to the chase. When I was arrested in 1986, um, I called my uh, um, my first wife and I said, come pick up this money I have. And she said, what bail bondsman do you want me to call? And I said, don't call anyone. The man upstairs is trying to tell me something and I have to sit here till I can figure it out. I don't know where those words came from to this day, but that was really my spiritual awakening. And, and from that time on, I, I've just, I've spent every day since then studying and praying and, and trying to understand the meaning of my life and, and the meaning of the, and how to live the principles of, of decency and, and um, kindness and compassion um, towards myself and towards everyone else. So that, that's really how I did it. I, I got out and I, and I, I didn't have a jailhouse conversion. I had a conversion. And I went back to something that I had known. I'd grown up in, in a conservative temple in, in Cleveland, Ohio. And I went back, and I went back with the same um, energy and gusto that I, uh, that I had when I was um, out there um, stealing and conning. And so, for me, I love to learn. And I switched my learning from how to do it wrong to how to do it right. And, and I'm continuing that learning, and, and um, each day I get one grain of sand better at it. And that's, that's really the way it all happened. And um, the story of Bechuv is an amazing story. It started in an old house down uh, um, in the barrio adjacent in L.A., and it's grown into a, um, a nationally recognized treatment center for people who want to live well. We're going to take a short 60-second break to round up all those Jews. 
We'll be right back on True Crime Uncensored. Hi, I am the legendary Burl Bear, raised on records, born to rock and roll, rock to the cradle of blues and blues, taking time out of my busy schedule to join you on True Crime Uncensored and to remind you that my latest brilliant literary masterpiece is available now. Man Overboard, the counterfeit resurrection of Phil Champagne. He died in 1982, but amazingly enough was arrested in 1992 for counterfeiting $100 bills in a tiny shed in Idaho. How did he go from being a a nobody slump in Oregon to being believed to be one of the top international criminals? Well, of course, he really wasn't. He just made the mistake of using the wrong alias. Man Overboard, the counterfeit resurrection of Phil Champagne, the special 20th anniversary edition with bonus features, is available right now. And you can buy it online, in paperback or ebook, just as you probably can, with The Holy Thief by Rabbi Mark. And, oh, you didn't mention what's-her-name who won't be here at all. As <laughs> you cut that off. Hi, I'm Burl Bear. We're back with Rabbi Mark Borovitz from Temple Bay Shuva, which has indeed grown tremendously since I first encountered it in, what, 2004, 2005. And uh, you got a snazzy new edition on there. The place has grown, and you've got a slick paper magazine and all sorts of fancy stuff. Not to mention the annual event. I went to one Rabbi Borovitz. It was fantastic. I even got to wear a tuxedo. And it was, uh, I think you were saluting one of the most famous plastic surgeons or something <laughs> in Hollywood. And you had uh, Kirk Douglas and uh, all sorts of people there. It was quite an event. And uh, just about every year you have one of these, all sorts of, one of the big events you have. It's called our gala. It's our major fundraiser. We, uh, um, we seventy we, percent uh, of the people that are there pay five hundred dollars or less, and um, so we're we're a nonprofit. We never turn anyone away because of money, and so we we have to raise a lot of money every year. And uh, our our big event, in fact, this year is called Roads to Redemption. We're honoring John S. Forms, who uh, um, who really um, epitomizes redemption and 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 the Jewish faith. In that, as a um, tomato grow, major tomato grower in South Florida and elsewhere in, across the country, he um, he signed a an agreement with the Coalition of Immokalee Workers to um, the top two people there, Lucas Benitez and Greg Ashbed, just received the uh, Global Citizen Award from the Clinton Initiative, and um, it gave it gave uh, not just dignity and protection to to farm workers because in all of the laws of the United States agriculture the labor laws agriculture was always separated out um, it, it also has third party um, uh, oversight and um, it, it's just the type of it's the type of agreement and and way of being and doing business that is totally Jewish and totally in concert with redemption and chuba and, and with, with making sure that the widow, the poor, the stranger, and the orphan are cared for and that people who are voiceless and powerless are seen as human beings. So, um, that's is that why they call us all commies? <laughs> well, could be. You know, uh, that comes from the workman's circle, but that's a, from the socialist movement. I mean, if you look at the socialist movement, Jews were in the forefront of it. Uh, even in the civil rights uh, um, movement, there was a, a real, a real um, bringing together of, of uh, um, African Americans and Jews. And um, in fact, Rabbi Abram Joshua Heschel marched with Rabbi, with uh, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. in the Selma, Alabama. March, you see him right in the front row, one person away from uh, Reverend King. And um, so it's always been a, um, a part of our tradition because we know what it's like uh, to be persecuted. We know what it's like to be called the other. We know what it's like to be pushed away, that we're always in the forefront of, of, these, of these types of movements. Rabbi, can I ask you a question about something that you brought up thing a moment ago that made me wonder something. So when, when you're doing your fundraising and you're in that mode where you're raising money for the, the temple and for the programs, do you ever feel yourself using the same skill sets you used 
when you were a con man? Are you, are you turning on your personality? And so how do you how do you bifurcate that in your mind that you're not slipping into what you did to do ill? Well, it's simple. No trait in and of itself is, is good or bad. All traits are benign. It depends on how we use it and what we use them for. So my hustle now is simple. I'm still a hustler. I say it all the time. And, and I'm hustling for, for people to live well, for people to learn uh, um, how to change. First of all, the change is possible. Second of all, the change is holy. And third, that uh, um, there's a, a way and a place to change, and the change can be permanent. There's also the uh, the statement I remember hearing years ago that if you don't have much of an ego, you can let it go. If you have a real big one, consecrate it, put it to good use. <laughs> you know, I'm going to use that. That's a good line. Yeah, so thank you. That's a good point. Uh, it just depends on how you use it. You know, the same the same wind that blows the ship out to sea blows it into the rocks. It all depends on how you trim your sails. Uh, someone said, you know, the Holy Spirit's an impersonal power used personally. And, uh, you know, that's the same energy to do good or do bad. It's just how you use that. Yeah, I think that's a very important point. Um, the, the energy to create is, is within all of us. And we have to choose what we're going to create. Are we going to create chaos and hatred? Or are we going to create um, beauty and love and, and order? So, so it really comes down to how you're going to use it. And most of us aren't trained in that. And I think that's the, the problem with... Um, with education and, and, and really, in some, in, to some extent, religion. We, we're not training our, our young and, and our old in how to use the power that's within them. We're just sort of letting them, just saying, oh, go, you know, it's like the prison system. I mean, the most ridiculous thing in the world. Now, to get to prison, you have to act like an animal. It just You just do, okay? It's animalistic to take advantage of people and to hurt people and all those things. Now, what do they do? They lock you in a cage, let you out for three meals a day, and then one day say, okay, now go out and be a good boy. There's, mm-hmm. no, there's no training. There's no change. There's no, there's no education. There's no connection to the spirit of, of the person. There's no teaching them how to transform and, and how to use this energy that's within all of us to, to make something better and, and to, to have the passion and purpose and, and, and meaning and, and make meaning in your life rather than make chaos and, and, and just go for yourself and you know if it's good for me then screw everybody else so religion and and, and, and schooling and philosophy everything it all sounds good the tenants are great the, the problem is that we're not teaching the how to get there and and that's what Bechuva does that's what Judaism does that's what uh, uh, Chuva's about that's really what true religion is about is is the training uh, of people in how to to better use how to use the energy that's within them the creativity to make things better rather than just be selfish and or to make things worse well i think the, the key is to get that invested somehow into video games reality television and Googling yourself, and then people would be set. They could have those lessons dropped in to a Kardashian episode. <laughs> the world would be a lot simpler and a, and a better place. But, you know, I, I agree with what you're saying, Rabbi, in, in regards to, to almost everything, which makes me think I should be more religious. But particularly maybe, you are, like, maybe you are more religious and you just don't want knowledge it. I don't know. Then I'd, then I'd, have, to, I'd have to spend more time... Um, <laughs> being being more tolerant, I think. <laughs> that, would, that would ruin my entire hustle, as it were. <laughs> well, I, I understand that well. I, mean, I understand that well. <laughs> Interesting that what religions teach in their actual scriptures and what so many people think they're about, being as they don't read or study themselves and often let someone else tell them what it means, is quite at variance with, with uh, a lot of practice. For example, as you know, in addition to the Jewish writings, I'm also a Baha'i, and I read the Quran every day, and I read Catholic stuff. I read everything I get my hands on it. It's of a spiritual bent. And in the Quran, it says, the reason God created Jews, Christians, and Muslims, instead of all being one community, was so they could learn from each other and vie with each other in doing good deeds for the poor. Now, that's the job description. Learn from each other and do good deeds for the poor. 
how often do you hear that quote <laughs> put out there in the media or anywhere else? Well, you know, I think the, the world doesn't doesn't want everything to be good. You know, we uh, and this is why we are storytellers. Also, is that the world wants to see conflict and resolution, but then they want to see a conflict again. You know, I, I often think about the the period of time. You know, for instance, when Bill Clinton was in office and the world was at peace and we all had money, and how nice that was. And, and then you know, we have to find the, the bad thing. We have to go search for something to to bring this, you know, prosperity down. But, you know, we feed on conflict. I, I think without conflict, you don't have the path to happiness. If you're just happy the entire time... You wouldn't know what happy was without being happy. You wouldn't unhappy. know what happy was, exactly. Right. But, but, Todd, you see, I, I mean, I agree with, with the idea of con- conflict in us. We're, we're conflicted mm-hmm. as, as humans. The, the, the problem is that we don't have resolutions, Okay, we, we, we have victories. People are not interested in, in resolving things. They're interested in winning. And, that's and, a great point. That's and, a great point. And, and, and that's, uh, uh, that's the problem. Religion is, is interested in resolution and raising up. Um, most, thing, most people and mo- most conflicts are about who's going to win. And, and, uh, um, and that's... That's where you get the. That's where you take humanity out of it. You see, because if if it's all about winning, then you're an object. As you're writing, okay. If it's all about how can I be the number, you know, the 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 number one book on the New York Times, and and that's what you're going for. That's one type of book. If you're trying to tell a story about conflict and and with resolution, or at least some path to resolution. You might not be number one in the New York Times, but you've raised up the entire conversation and, and you've raised up um, the, the lives of everybody who reads it. So it, it really is, do I want to win or do I want to resolve? Well, and you know what, Rabbi, what you just pointed out is the key difference between my books and my brother's number one best-selling book. <laughs> <laughs> I hope Lee's listening. <laughs> <laughs> my brother gets to be number one. I get to be the one that affects change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he gets a lot of spare change. Maybe he'll give us some of it. <laughs> or then again, maybe he wouldn't give us a steam off a cold cup of coffee. You never know. <laughs> well, you know, something that I, I found interesting, you know, I, I did so much reading to, to try to make my my character's descent into being a rabbi believable, is, is the there is some dark stuff, obviously, in the Talmud. You know, there's, there's this wonderful line that um, I actually I put in the book that I stumbled on at just the right time, which is that uh, if a man comes to kill you, wake up early and kill him first. <laughs> and when I read that, I thought, well, is Elmore Leonard down with, with the Talmudic scholars to, to write this? I mean, so there's, there is that, there is so much about, about peace and prosperity and, and helping others. But there's also, you know, the, the very tangible, don't mess with us. And, and I, I find that an interesting parallel, or not uh, parallel, it's an interesting juxtaposition. We gotta take a break, Todd. Our producer is playing music, which means we have to pause for 60 seconds. And we'll be right back. So uh, stay with us, alright? Thank you. You're no longer tied to your computer. You're now safe to roam while Barstow's burning and take Outlaw Radio with you everywhere you go. Grab an Outlaw Radio app from RadioLoyalty.com, the smoking, drinking, interrupting 24-hour party that you follow now follows you. Your cell phone or Apple device is now the easiest way to stay connected with your friends on Outlaw Radio, Demons of Decadence. Change the way you listen to radio seven days a week. Just punch in Outlaw Radio. Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Welcome back to True Crime Uncensored. I am the legendary Burl Bearer. 
Nation, which you should buy immediately. Also buy Holy Thief. The Holy Thief is uh, several books with that title, but the one I want you to buy is the one by Rabbi Mark Borovitz, who is the rabbi at Temple Bay Shufa. You can buy the other ones, too, if you're, you know, feeling flush. <laughs> and buy Todd Goldberg's new book, Gangsterland, about the mafia hitman who becomes a rabbi. Transformation of individuals in their lives, for the good or the bad or the ugly, one of the three. Is uh, Eli Wallach involved in any of this? <laughs> no, perhaps <laughs> he, he could have been. One of my great treasured memories of, of Beit Shuva was uh, Rabbi Borvis gives great Torah study at an ungodly hour of the morning, and uh, I sleep on the couch all night after watching movies with the night watchman. <laughs> And then he'd roust me up and prop me up for the Torah study in the morning. And uh, Rabbi would, would always wait uh, to call on me till the end because he knew he could count on something strange for me. We were talking about the Exodus, Moses, and all that. And he said, Mr. Bear, what is your viewpoint today? And I said, Rabbi, this year I'm rooting for Pharaoh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and some of the other students got really pissed off. And they go, Rabbi, what, what, what? And he just, Rabbi smiled and said, okay, let's hear your reasoning behind that. And I said, well, two things. Even Israel doesn't negotiate with terrorists. You got these two Yidlicks coming in and saying, you do what we want or we're giving you plagues. No, the Rabbi, you know, Pharaoh's not going to go for that. I said, but the real reason, I said, is that there isn't anything that Pharaoh does, his attitude, that the children of Israel don't do within 36 hours of getting out of town. <laughs> that he's just the overture, the warm-up act. And uh, one of the students said, Rabbi Borvis, are you going to let him say that? And the rabbi said, I'll be out of town next week on a book tour, and teaching in my place will be Mr. Bear. <laughs> and so I told him, I said, listen, if the Torah is the tree of life, we can afford to go out on a limb. <laughs> I can't imagine having you as a student, bro. <laughs> it was. Yes, you had him as an uncle. Isn't that bad I know. enough? Look at me. Look at me. <laughs> so, so, Todd, you know, you, you, you brought something up that's really important, too. That, that Judaism is a practical religion. It, it's a way of, it's, it, it, you know, it's not even a religion. It's a way of living. So the truth is that if, if they're coming to get you, of course you have to, you, you have to save your life. So it goes to this idea that th there's another statement in the Talmud that, talk, that says if they're coming if they're coming to get you and you're in a group and they say send one person out and we'll spare the rest, you don't send the person out because you see nobody can say that one soul is worth more than any other soul. And in Sanhedrin it says that. Uh, um, if you save one, if you destroy one soul, it's as if you you've destroyed an entire world. If you save one soul, it's as if you've saved an entire world. So the worth of a soul is so great that you don't just give it up because somebody wants to take it. And, and I think that that's a, a really important, uh, practical way to live. That means, of course, that I just don't go to kill somebody just because I want to, and I can't say that their life is worth more than mine. So it's a real sense of, of self-worth and, and, um, and really seeing yourself as, as um, worthy and important. You're, you're going to be seeing um, a lot of that in the sequel to the book, by the way. <laughs> that, 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 <laughs> you're just sitting there taking notes, aren't you, Todd? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to cut you in 15% just for that sentence you said. There yeah, 15% of nothing still nothing. <laughs> you're a writer. Yeah, That's we know true. what writers make. Yeah. Uh, so so the, uh, the Red Sea collapses, drowns the uh, pursuing army, and the, the, the Israelites the cheer. And God rebukes them. Yes. Yes. Uh, do not do not uh, rejoice in the death of thine enemy, for any death diminishes us all. Yes. That's a powerful statement. In fact, the angels were cheering. There's a midrash that says the angels were cheering, and God says, what are you cheering, cheering for? My children are dying. My children are dying. So, so destruction and death is always uh, um, uh, it's a loss for everybody. It's a failure. Which I always found incongruous with the flood. Well, 
Yeah, and, and that's why God says, after the flood, I'll never do this again. Boy, was that a mistake. <laughs> oh, God, the water. The water, the water. Mother, don't open the motel. <laughs> I tell you, the desert was better. <laughs> <laughs> that's why the Jews go to Palm Springs. Uh, and Florida. Someone get me to Boca. <laughs> Uh, we're we're a tad silly here. Yeah, we we, we, we did get it. Really, I hadn't noticed. Just <laughs> like old home week here. <laughs> see, see, but but Todd, you know, one of the things that's important also, and I'm, I, I I haven't read your book yet. I will. Uh, but there, when you when you have a practice, it changes you. Mm-hmm. And, and I would ask you a question: How did how did your practice of doing all this research change you in writing the book? It, it had a pretty fundamental effect on me. You know, I I forgave a lot of things. You know, it's a lot about what you've already said. To be perfectly honest, which is that you know, I, I by doing the reading and re- reading the books that he would need to read to be a rabbi, um, you know, it, it it had me giving up the anger I had for a lot of things. You know, the, the things that happened in the past, um, the things that hadn't happened yet, the mistakes I was going to make. Um, and this idea of forgiveness is not one that, uh, you know, I had had. You know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a grudge holder. <laughs> and, uh, it's got a spare not, room just for the grudges. Exactly. And it's not a healthy way to live your life, um, I learned. And, you know, what I, what I found in writing about a person... Um, who's having that sort of same dawning realization. And that's not to say that, you know, my character of the hitman is me, but, you know, I, I think it's impossible, as we all know from writing, that you, it's impossible not to put a portion of yourself into something that you're writing. Um, the words come from your brain and through your fingertips. Um, but what I found is that there is, there is a place to understand your personal frailty, and that frailty can be killing people, that frailty can be killing yourself over the, the anger that you have or blaming your parents for how they messed you up or, or whatever it might be. And, and so while, you know, I, I don't necessarily believe in the more mystical aspects of the religion. In, in fact, for a couple of years, I wrote a column for Juicy, that's J-E-W-C-Y, which was that, uh, it still exists, it's part of the forward now, but at the time it was this independent hipster Jewish online magazine, and I wrote a column called Goldberg P.I., and they would have me go out and investigate, you know, odd parts of Judaism and and find out, you know, do do the Jews run the liberal media? Does circumcision hurt? Um, What happens at the end of days? All all these things. And I would look up the more mystical things, and I'd think, well, you know, Ezekiel's vision of the Valley of Dry Bones seems a little strange, but maybe he was going through some shit. You don't know. You know, maybe he maybe he was having a, a break from reality. Um, but I found the philosophy mattered more to me and was more applicable to my own personal needs than the person I was going and giving thirty dollars to once a month to talk about these problems. Um, <laughs> And, and that was that was enlightening. You know, it, it's enlightening to forgive yourself. It's enlightening to forgive other people. It's enlightening to forgive the things you haven't done yet. Um, and I think it made me a better person. Made me, and also, as a, as a professor, it, it made me, um, I think, a more empathetic teacher. And, um, you know, that's, that's an important revelation to have in the middle of your life, I think. Yeah, I, I, think, it, I, I think it's... It's really what it's about, and and, um, and and that's what I'm saying. So all of these things change us. The 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 um, the traumas we have change us, and and the um, and, and and the good things and the learnings that we get uh, um, change us. And it really become it comes down to choice. So so you now because you're informed, you now have a choice as to which way you're going to go. Are you going to beat yourself up? Are you going to blame and shame? Or, or are you going to say, oops, I made a mistake and move on? Fix right. it and move on. And, and, and that's, a, that's a huge part of what our tradition is about, in, in both in philosophy, etc. Um, you know, Rabbi Heschel, uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel said, indifference to the sublime wonder of living is the root of all negativity. He said sin, I use negativity. 
That, that, I, I read a lot of his writing, incidentally. A lot of his writing. Brilliant. A ton of it. Yeah, a brilliant man. Absolutely brilliant man. And, and a, a, a total activist. Mm-hmm. So, so he put both of those things together in, in, a, in profound ways. Mm-hmm. And, and this whole idea is, is that um, through, through your practice of forgiveness, I think you see more of the wonder and the beauty of the world and right. of others. Absolutely, absolutely. And the, the nice part is I can have this experience while also writing a book where a guy goes around shooting people in the back of the head <laughs> and all of my period interests are fulfilled. <laughs> I yep. can be enlightened and I can still have my murder fantasies. It all works out swimmingly. I, I agree. You know, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago we had P.F. Sloan, the famous songwriter, on the program and on his uh, album Sailover, he has a song called Violence where he talks about in the song... Is this, why do I enjoy this, these action movies, the blood and thunder, the explosions, because he's a huge James Bond fan. <laughs> you know, he says, what does this fulfill within me that I find this, you know, while I'm so in favor of love and unity and growth, you know, why do I really get off on a great action movie, you know? Well, I think it's, it's actually sort of a, an American ideal, you know, that you don't want to be the person who gets screwed over, and you also want to be the person who rectifies the bad situations. Um, I, you know, it's the dirty, hairy guy, you know. He is the, he's going to kill all the bad guys, and he's going to fix the corrupt system, and he's going to look good and be a lone wolf and, and not have any regrets afterwards. I mean, that's the American dream. Not to have anyone mess with you and to not allow other people to be messed with while at the same time having a slightly higher vision of yourself than the rest of the world around you. Right, um, and, and the problem is that the, I, I'm, I'm not sure that that's the, the American dream anymore. No, <laughs> no. The American dream now is just to be famous in every own reality show. I've been working on that. <laughs> <laughs> now, Rabbi, you, you could have one. I, I, I can get you a deal somewhere. That, 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 that I can fix. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, Howard's listening. Uh, um, trust me, uh, they wouldn't take it. <laughs> no, it would just lend more credence to those liberal Jews control the media. <laughs> <laughs> if the liberal Jews control the media, we'd all work more. That's right. I keep waiting for my check from the International Zionist Conspiracy. I, has I yet, know. It hasn't I arrived know. yet. It'd be helpful around the holidays, specifically. Um, uh, Burrow, yeah. I have a confession. Oh, uh, you've been picking up my checks? Yeah, I had them rerouted to my house. Yeah, well, we had Arthur Goldwag on who wrote the book The New Hate about all the recycled conspiracy theories where they just changed the names to the new president instead of Eisenhower. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had the first question we asked him is if he, if he got his check. And he said, yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the fascinating thing about conspiracy theories is that, you know, depending upon what's going on in the world, that's, who, that's what the conspiracy is about. Um, you know, I, I, I'm fascinated sort of by fiction and, and films that came out after Watergate when all the conspiracies turned out to be true, that the world was being manipulated. And then a guy named Carl and a guy named Bob figured it all out. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it takes. It's a couple yeah. of good investigative journalists. That's why I became one. And then I... <laughs> Then you found out that there's no there's no money in it. <laughs> That's, the money is in the conspiracy, not the in the revelation. The <laughs> Follow the money. The, the, the person who figures out a conspiracy doesn't get any of it, unfortunately. Yeah, Woodward and Bernstein did okay. I don't think they have to be worried about anything. No, no right. but just as y'all, just to make sure that you're all aware that it's people. It's on the green's people. You can move on now. Yeah. I, I have no <laughs> right, idea what You see, the, the problem is, is that we're not learning we're not learning from the past. When you take a look, learn from history, history repeats itself. And, and we're in that same cycle um, of, of hatred, of sensationalism, of all of that, you, you know, in, in resolving conflict. We're ne- you're right, you know, you said it before. We're never going to be free of conflict. The question is, what are we going to do? Are we going to grow from it or are we going to stay stuck in it, waiting to win and find the next one? And may I offer something here? There are what I would call gross tests or gross conflict and subtle. If we can get past the gross ones where it involves people killing each other and countries blowing each other up, and get down the, to the conflict of thought, of when a thought crosses your mind that is in conflict with your higher principles, 
and you have these choices to make, you can resolve that conflict. I think that as human beings evolve and, and get past things, the conflict remains. They're just more subtle. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I would say that if we can, if we can um, resolve the subtle ones, then then the gross ones go away. You may be very right, right on that. Right. But there's it's, so it's, much it's, knee-jerk reaction. I think if we can just get the conflicts down to, do you want to watch You've Got Mail or with Harry Met Sally? You know, Harry Met Sally. <laughs> I'm a CMA, You've Got Mail. I'm sorry, See, Terminator 2. <laughs> perfect. I would watch Terminator 2. If we can just solve people's Netflix conflicts, um, then we can move on to the next thing. It is a, it's unfortunate, but uh, from my perspective, man in general needs to belong. Yes. And there will always be someone out there saying, come over here and belong with me. And not them. And not them. Can't we have right. the concept where we all belong together? Didn't uh, Lennon... Uh, well, a- actually, um, I, I don't know if you've uh, read or listened to Father Greg Boyle, the founder of uh, Homeboy Industries. Oh, he's a great guy. I actually had him come out and speak here at UC Riverside uh, a couple he's, years ago. He was fantastic. He, he's just... He, great work. Yeah, and he's an amazing spirit. Um, we we had a whole conversation about redemption, and, and both of us agree. If we erase the margins, if we get rid of the margins, then we all belong. And and we belong in different places and, and in different groups, yes. But we all belong. We belong to this thing called humanity. And, and, and as long as we can make the other, as long as we can make them and us, we, we're... We're propping up a system that hasn't worked, really. I mean, when you when you look at it, okay, Judaism. In fact, we're told that we're supposed to be a light unto the nation, Jews, to bring all of these things to, to get rid of the margins and embrace everything, and then we can we can resolve conflicts and they'll come up again. But there's no margin. There's no other. There's no there's no, no separation. Yeah. Right. No line of demarcation between those on the bus and those off the bus. We're all on the highway. <laughs> and you know what, what? What Father Boyle does is really interesting as well. And it, 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 I think it probably dovetails into your life, Rabbi. And, and... <laughs> Thank you, Todd. It's Thank been a you, pleasure. Todd. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi Borovitz. Thank you, Beryl. Thank you. Mom. Buy his book, The Holy Thief, and buy Todd's book, Gangster Land. Of course, always buy all of mine. Matt Allen, the Thieves of Decadence, are next.